Hello, my name is Teresa Calvano and I'm the head of the technology practice at Ruth Pedersen Public Affairs Brussels. You are listening to Europe's Digital Frontrunners, a podcast series brought to you by Ruth Pedersen to explore the D9 Plus group. As you may know, this is an informal alliance of the digital ministers of some EU member states They want to promote utilization, implementation, and sharing of best practices of digitalization. These countries are driving the EU tech agenda, and that's why we're eager to hear their voices. Thank you, Teresa. I'm Claudio Murri. I am a senior advisor at Ruth Pedersen Public Affairs in Brussels. And today I'm delighted to welcome uh, Mr. Raoul Rick uh, to the first episode of our series of podcasts on uh, Europe's uh, digital frontrunners. We're going to have a discussion on topics of uh, cybersecurity and privacy, of which uh, Raul is uh, a leader and an expert on. Uh, in fact, um, he is the National Cybersecurity Policy Director for the Government of Estonia and has uh, had a long and distinguished career uh, in, uh, in this field. So thank you, Raul, for joining us today. Thank you very much. The pleasure is mine. So, as Teresa said in the introduction, uh, this is a series of podcasts that talks about uh, how the D9 plus group of countries are driving the EU tech agenda. Uh, so, maybe just um, start with a, with a very short word of explanation for our audience on, on why we thought that uh, it is uh, useful to start with Estonia and with a focus on cybersecurity. Now, uh, why Estonia? That's a no-brainer. Uh, you are considered one of the most advanced uh, digital societies in the world. Uh, you are very prominently placed uh, uh, in the uh, Digital Economy and Society Index uh, that the European Commission publishes every year. Why uh, cybersecurity? Uh, cybersecurity uh, is not necessarily one of the key topics of discussion at the D9+. Although in the latest declaration after the January meeting, they, uh, they raised the, the importance of cybersecurity and privacy uh, for trust of citizens in digital solutions uh, and to encourage innovation. Uh, so, so it is part of the work program. But it also plays a, a crucial role in the effort to achieve an efficient, uh, secure and transparent online uh, ecosystem. So very important in this whole strategy of the EU to, to, uh, to become fit for the digital age. Estonia and cybersecurity together. Estonia is a, is a leader in this field. Uh, I already mentioned uh, the, the, the history of uh, the professional history of Raoul Rick. Just to make an example, uh, the, the executive director for the uh, European Union Agency of Cybersecurity is uh, an Estonian. So there is no better country to, to talk about these issues. So, so that's enough as an introduction, but just in the light of this leadership position that Estonia holds, it is understandable that you, you want to contribute your thoughts and cooperate with other countries. Uh, this is a very global issue in nature. Uh, it requires a high level of coordination with other countries to be really effectively managed. So I was wondering, um, you know, do you actually uh, see uh, a, a value add, an advantage of coordinating uh, your uh, positions with, with those of uh, the D9 plus countries vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, for example, the, uh, the regulatory activities that the EU is, uh, is uh, adopting in the area of cybersecurity? Thank you very much for the kind introduction. And, of course, in Estonia, we emphasize cybersecurity a lot. Uh, just a given uh, understanding why we do so is that uh, our public services are 99.9% .9 online. So we actually depend on the cyber infrastructure 
And because of that, of course, we have to pay attention to cybersecurity. And uh, because we went online uh, about 20 years ago, uh, we have started to pay attention to cyber also uh, from 20 years ago. Uh, but regarding the D plus 9 format, I would say that it's it's very good format, of course, because there are, in the European Union there are many countries together, and uh, in some political questions it's quite hard to find the consensus that how to go ahead, and uh, T9 Plus is just a format uh, of the most advanced digital countries that can agree at uh, how to uh, develop the European policies or at least give an opinion that uh, how to do that. For example, uh, some years ago, the Digital Services Act was one of the European regulations where T plus 9 format agreed on the position and uh, gave it to the EU. So this is exactly what should be done. And uh, uh, regarding cybersecurity, we don't have such kind of specific format. Of course, we can talk about cybersecurity topics in T plus 9 or many, many other formats. But in addition, I think that uh, maybe we should consider that uh, uh, to emphasize the cybersecurity related matters in this format or in some other format. Because what we have seen lately is that the cyber attacks are getting uh, more and more dangerous and the, the cyber, the, the bad guys there are uh, getting more and more influential. And if you even consider that uh, what happened through the solar winds attacks or colonial, and they were, they were even able to get the massive amounts of uh, ransomware for the companies. So I think the question is that what should we do more in order to ensure that our digital society is secure enough of course, we put emphasis and uh, thoughts to, to the idea that how to develop the cyber societies further, but I would say that it won't happen without uh, paying enough attention to cyber security. Well, so that, uh, that would be nice that maybe Ruth Pedersen is, is giving a good idea to use also the D9 plus in this area. <laughs> Uh, so it could be our contribution to the debate. But no, th this, is a, this is a very interesting uh, point. I mean, uh, the, the resilience, how do we, how do we uh, enhance that uh, in the face of these uh, uh, cyber attacks that are growing in number and in sophistication? So uh, you had uh, published your own uh, cybersecurity strategy uh, that was supposed to run from 2019 to next year, 2022. In the meantime, the EU uh, also recently announced their cybersecurity strategy uh, that is uh, from 2021 to 2025. So uh, what are your views? Are these uh, strategies aligned? They're compatible? Uh, what, are, what are, in your view, the priorities that the EU should focus on um, in its imp implementation? Thank you very much for the question. I think it's a very, very important topic. So the, basically the question is that uh, what to emphasize in near future in order to make uh, societies more cyber resilient. And uh, we have uh, defined uh, uh, very uh, concrete goals. So the first one is to get the better understanding what is going on in the world. So the, the, the cyber awareness or situational awareness. And uh, it includes many different aspects. For, for example, first of all, we understand uh, where these new emerging technologies are going. So what is, the, what is the digital development that will happen 
over the next five years, ten years, because it has direct influence to the cybersecurity field. So the question is for in the cybersecurity area is that what we will or what we should protect in the future. And that's, so that's why we need this analysis. Secondly, we have to understand that how these global digital developments will influence us locally. And locally, I mean in Europe in general, because the, as we know, most of the influential technologies are not developed in EU. So we have to understand how these global technologies influence us. And also, of course, because cybersecurity is also a national security matter, we are interested in how these technologies influence us in Estonia, for example, or what we should do nationally in order to be prepared. Secondly, uh, the big goal is to raise the existing capacities and by that I mean that uh, when we think about these latest uh, cyber attacks, the methodology is simple. The bad guys get into the systems and we also know what to do against that, how to protect the systems. The question is that why we haven't uh, done so, why, why we haven't protected our systems better. It goes back to the question of the risk management. So how much money we are able to put to the risk management in order to, uh, to make things secure and how much risk we can actually accept. And we think that uh, we have to, at least in Estonia, but also I think in, throughout the EU, we have to put more resources to cybersecurity. How to do that, that's a question. Maybe we should uh, say clear percentage of the ICT budget. So, for example, 20% of ICT budget should go to the cybersecurity because otherwise we cannot feel secure. The same way how we do with defense expenditures. So 2% of GDP, that's what NATO has agreed on. Because what I see is that the same kind of intrusions to the systems happen over the years. So nothing has changed. Just the influence or the impact has become bigger. And thirdly, we should just reorganize our existing capabilities because we have new threats and we need the management system uh, that is developed according to the existing uh, needs. So these are the three main aspects. Situational awareness, uh, emphasis to the cyber expenditures and the capacity building and, and also this uh, reorganizing the cybersecurity management. This is very interesting, and, and you mentioned uh, there is a lot of uh, food for thought here. Uh, I noted down what you said. We we need to know what is going on in the world, which is you know points out to the global nature of, of these threats, and and so sometimes even looking at, uh, at these issues from a national point of view or even a European point of view is not sufficient. Now we have the whole debate also uh, on on digital sovereignty, and uh, some people are uh, worried that this might uh, become a, a game of exclusions or or a game of protections, where instead of opening up to the world and trying to cooperate on this, you you try to find uh, local solutions. And uh, uh, you also mentioned NATO, and I and I forgot to to say that you are uh, one of the founders of the NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence, which is based in Tallinn, and you were actually uh, the first uh, director of it. So so how do we how do we balance this idea that Europe needs to be self reliant on technologies, but then it needs to continue to cooperate? Another example uh, after Brexit. Uh, the UK is a prominent player in the area of security. 
do you see uh, a diminished collaboration, a little bit more mistrust, for example, or, or is it uh, in this particular area st still business as usual? Uh, are you building solutions together with, uh, with our uh, global partners? Regarding UK, I would say that, uh, of course, uh, from the security point of view, uh, we are absolutely not happy that uh, UK uh, left, left the EU because uh, previously what we were able to do is that to exchange the views through the different EU formats that we have. So there are many different uh, uh, working groups uh, in the EU related to cybersecurity and it was very easy to communicate and understand what is the UK's position, how they think about the different aspects, and we were able to coordinate our steps. Now, once UK doesn't take part of these different uh, cooperation formats, we have to find other ways how to communicate. So, of course, we do it through the embassy and through the cyber diplomats, but it take, takes much more time, and it's not so like a based on everyday activities at, as it used to be. It has clear influence to that. So I would say that there will be probably less cooperation as, as it used to be. But of course, we cooperate and we exchange ideas and views. So in this regard, uh, nothing has changed. U UK is a key ally related to cybersecurity and we, we, we communicate with them. You had also a question about this uh, cyber sovereignty or digital sovereignty, uh, how to approach that. I think it's a very complicated issue. On one hand, I believe that uh, we cannot be uh, too protective because if we don't have alternatives in EU, the protection doesn't help. For example, if um, we use, uh, it's just an example, I don't want to uh, indicate any particular companies, but, uh, but just to give better understanding. Uh, for example, when we use Microsoft Office products, then uh, what alternative we actually have? There is no alternative. We are looking forward that some company is able in Europe to develop systems that can be alternatives. And it's nothing against Microsoft, but uh, it's always to have uh, several options, not just one or two. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when we have this one service provider that uh, many, many organizations in the government sector and private sector depend on, then we, of course, have to regulate how they provide the service. For example, we don't want to lose the service if the Internet connectivity is down in Estonia. We have had this case in 2007. The Internet connectivity was uh, broken, and uh, then the question is that the services that we uh, depend on different uh, big global providers, they still have to work in the country, even if we don't have the, the, the global connectivity. So these are the kind of questions that we have in mind, so that the protection aspects are not coming from the thought that we need to protect our market, but rather that how to ensure the continuity of service and, uh, and security inside the country. On the other hand, there are some political issues around uh, the use of certain service providers or technology providers. And, uh, and when we look at uh, critical infrastructure and the, and the next generation of networks, there is all this debate in 5G, for example, where you should be 
uh, using the services of uh, Chinese companies, uh, whether that is a, uh, a threat to security. One of your uh, close neighbors, Lithuania, if I'm not wrong, uh, just uh, decided that they're going to ban uh, equipment makers uh, that are not Western, from Western countries. How, how do you see this playing? I mean, of course, you don't want to depend on one provider and, and, uh, and increase the, uh, the, the choice uh, of services. Uh, but um, do, you, do you think that uh, deciding that certain providers are just not fit to be um, providing uh, equipment for our networks, is, is that a good solution? I think that, uh, yes, we have to differentiate the service providers or technology providers who are in principle trustworthy uh, from these whom we cannot trust so much. And the line goes between the democratic values and the non-democratic values. The question is that these days the hardware and software, not only in the telecommunication area, but in every IT area, the hardware and software uh, it's so complex that we cannot well control what's going on inside, uh, for example, in the computer or in the telecommunication device. Technology providers develop uh, software very rapidly and continuously, and uh, it's almost impossible to inspect every new update of the software. So the question is that uh, if we cannot control the hardware and software, technically so well. So how we can ensure the security of these systems? The only way how we can do that is that the security is based on the trust of the technology provider. So that's why we need the clear uh, kind of understanding that what, are, what, what is the criteria, how we differentiate the trusted vendors from not trusted vendors. And as you mentioned, Lithuania clarified this through the regulation that uh, all non-EU providers are not automatically trusted. And we have the similar uh, legal act uh, in the parliament at the moment. But the basic principle is the same. We have to do that in order to ensure the security of the society for the, for the future. Okay, well, um, that's uh, very, very interesting. I, uh, I also uh, heard uh, the point of view that uh, while, when you have uh, a lot of components in a system, then that requires more interfaces, makes the system more vulnerable. And uh, I, I like the idea that basically you need to establish a set of criteria, and Europe uh, has, a, has a very high level of, uh, you know, uh, of requirements. Uh, and if you want to do business with uh, with Europe, you you need to to meet uh, those uh, those criteria. I would like to go back to to your uh, um, point about investment in in cybersecurity uh, and uh, and maybe link it to the topic of trust uh, that you also mentioned in the beginning. Uh, because yes, we 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 need to um, uh, to invest more, but uh, uh, on the other hand, we need to convince the population uh, that our investment in security does not necessarily lead to a surveillance society or a society where individual freedoms are diminished. And um, I, I believe Estonia is a country where the, the trust in government is very high, and, and so it may be easier to introduce certain measures. But then you have also a lot of skepticism. And uh, this COVID uh, pandemic 
has sort of like uh, raised a little bit of that skepticism about uh, uh, solutions mandated by governments. So, so what is what is your view in in this area? How do we gain the trust of the citizens uh, that what we're doing in security is to protect them rather than to uh, control them? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, we just had the uh, ministerial visit to France uh, for three days, and uh, we we discussed about the same topic there as well. And. The, the question was how we gained the trust uh, among the society towards digital solutions because there are very different cultural and other aspects that play along on, on this. But in Estonia I can share the experience this way that we started to offer services that people actually needed. For example, tax declaration is always painful process for everyone. Nobody wants to do that. And we started to offer pre-filled tax declarations about 15 years ago or more. So people felt that if they use this digital solution, they don't need to spend two weeks in order to do tax declarations, but they can do it in five minutes because they just checked everything the government has prepared and they just accepted it. People really felt that it's useful, but in order to provide this kind of service, first we had to solve the question of the security of the internet, for example. That's why we introduced the electronic identification cards and electronic identification, identification in general. So we can provide this kind of useful services. After people felt that the government has done something uh, uh, for their benefit, created the attitude that people started to ask that, okay, if we can do something like this in this area, we should do in other areas as well. And over a, couple of, over a couple of years, we started to get this public opinion that a certain government agency uh, was not able to digitalize their processes. Then the journalist pointed it out, so saying that, you see, they are not able to do, but people need that. It kind of grew over the years. I know that uh, many countries and Europe as a general wants to have a plan, like for 10 or 15 or 20 years, that uh, how we do things. But I think that the digital systems develop so fast and the technologies develop so fast that we cannot have this kind of plan. We have to do the basics and see where it leads us. So we didn't have a plan that, okay, the whole Estonian society will be digitalized in 10, ten years and then we have reached our goal. We just did what we thought is logical in order to get the efficiency out of the system and out of the technology. And rest was just kind of natural process that was built on these uh, first steps. So I think that that's the way how things happen naturally, and we, we don't need to pay so much attention how to promote the digital solutions. I find that sometimes there is this utopia that people say, oh, let's find the solution once and for all. Uh, we, we install it on our systems, and, and then we're all safe. Especially, I think, that probably in, in the whole cybersecurity uh, universe, one of the most vulnerable points is the end user, the, the entry point, where... It is it is quite astonishing how many people still uh, receive a phishing email and they click on the link. So probably there is still a lot of education to be done in, in terms of so convincing that uh, the the cybersecurity actions are, are essential, but also educating people that they are part of the solution, that it's not sufficient to buy an antivirus uh, 
product install it on your computer but it's a it's a process that you have to adapt uh, all the time because the cyber attackers also continue to to evolve their their approaches how how would you suggest that this should go on at national level or european level a, a massive education campaign for the computer users that should be more sophisticated but even the native uh, digital uh, generations uh, maybe they're actually much more accustomed to use uh, all sorts of uh, systems and they may be less defensive uh, when when it comes to protecting themselves and their and their uh, equipment from cyber attacks uh, that's a very good question but i personally i i am not a big believer that education of the individuals will help a lot of course there has to be a basic hygiene so we all brush our teeth and we wash hands that's what we can do mm-hmm. but we cannot do a surgery for for ourselves that needs much more sophisticated skills and uh, in the cyber security area the situation is the same the only thing that the users could do is the very very basics but nothing more that's why we need the systems and technology that takes the burden away the most of the burden away from the normal users that's why we introduced this uh, electronic identification so what it actually does it encrypts the communication between the single person and the government service it's called electronic id but in in reality for from the technical point of view it's an encryption device that the government gives to the normal person's hands so they don't need to worry that how well their computers are protected once they use id card they create the secure connectivity to the government service so that's the way how we avoid most of the problems that many mm-hmm. countries have but of course uh, i think the single person's uh, cyber challenges are related more to the commercial services or how they protect their own uh, for example facebook accounts so how much information they put there so there are different kind of uh, challenges that we have there but what of course governments can do governments can always protect their own service and not to put it on the shoulders of the normal or or the every individual yes of course everybody has uh, has its role uh, but i i like your uh, metaphor of the of the covid uh, measures where we are now all uh, very well aware that we need uh, to wash our hands and uh, be careful what we touch and uh, maybe don't touch our face uh, or, or or even things like where that where normal behavior in in the work environment so if you have a massive cold maybe it's better that you don't go to the office uh, you show your loyalty to your company more by not going than showing up um and, and that you know maybe it took a pandemic for us to be subjected to this massive education campaign and and maybe we need to have uh, as well a sort of like national uh, education on uh, on on security topics i i i feel that that is an area where uh, maybe we haven't done enough i think uh, what covid has uh, showed to us is that uh, the digital development normally would have taken probably 10 years has happened in one year so uh, everybody were forced to go uh, digital and i think uh, what many organizations did in the beginning they probably compromised uh, security a little bit because they were able to use different uh, commercial products that are not giving so much security but just had to do it because there was no other way how to keep operations going they, but at the same time i think many organizations also in the government sector 
realized that we cannot do things this way for long. So we have to find the solutions how to ensure security now. So that has put the emphasize to the cybersecurity as well. My estimation is that what we're going to see in, in coming years is that governments and the private organizations will put much more emphasis to, to the security aspect and digital security. We, we, we talked very much about the protection of, of basic uh, infrastructure in the area of providing uh, services, so the internet, the telecommunication services, the government services, that, that is very important. Uh, with the evolution of, of technologies, we are getting into all sorts of other challenges uh, that is going to be a mix of critical infrastructure. I'm thinking of the Internet of Things. I'm thinking of maybe in the future having self-driving cars. That will increase the level of threats immensely. And uh, what, what is uh, your thinking in terms of the future? Where do we need to start now to, uh, to, to increase the protection so that we will not run into, uh, into problems? Uh, and just to make an example, I mean, self-driving cars can be dangerous for the individual driver, but if somebody manages to hijack a truck and drive it into the crowd, then it becomes a national security uh, challenge. So... How, how do you envision protecting these kind of situations? I think this way that uh, if, you, if you look in general that uh, how countries, I cannot say that every country, but very many has approached to the digital chains, is that I think also in Estonia we have emphasized the innovation part more than the security part. I think it's going to change in the future because we already see now through these very successful cyber attacks that the impact is massive. So it cannot continue this way. And the solution is very, very simple. Whatever we do, whatever we innovate, the cybersecurity has to be like a natural part of this process. It cannot happen this way that uh, we first innovate and in the very, very late phase, uh, the innovators go to the cybersecurity experts and ask that, okay, we have innovated, so how we should protect it now? So it has to be like a part of the innovation process. And it's very easy to do. It doesn't demand anything else just to consider the cyber security aspect from the beginning. But how to get there, I think it's one, from one point of view, it's, a, it's kind of like a mentality question to promote this idea that we, not, we are not just developing digital societies, but we are de developing secure digital societies so that we can trust and on, but on the other hand, we also need the appropriate regulations or rules that how to do that. Because uh, from the private uh, sector point of view, security is always additional cost. We need to find the, the logical balance that from the government side, we don't demand too much, but we demand sufficiently so we can be sure that we can trust these uh, systems. A very good example is... Uh, uh, software development. Uh, we don't have any particular uh, rules how to develop software, but what we have seen over the last years, cyber attackers are using uh, the software developers uh, the way that uh, they, the clients will be affected to the uh, software updates. So the client doesn't know that the software update includes uh, malware, but the uh, the software developer is kind of influenced the way that they are spreading out malicious software. 
So this is not a very good situation. So we should put certain rules through the procurement process, for example, that whatever the government uh, procures, there has to be a certain standard established that uh, how this software developer provides the service, they should uh, also, for example, give the transparency that what kind of uh, uh, supply chain they have used for that. They should have a responsibility to notify the customer if they have found out uh, uh, some problems with their software or even intrusions to the, to the systems. So this kind of small aspects that have massive influence and, and gives more security and reliability uh, we should do in the future. But how exactly, how it should be balanced, that's a big question at the moment. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very old problem also, the balance uh, you know, between the upfront uh, cost of doing something uh, balanced against uh, the, the massive cost that you could incur into later on. But very often industry has not been very uh, successful in, in, in doing that, uh, you know, in many, many areas like uh, the environment, for example. We, we, need, we need to be better at doing that. I, it's, uh, it's interesting what you said about uh, you know, putting security at the development stage of inno innovation rather, rather than a layer afterwards to solve the problems created by uh, so disruptive innovation. And, uh, you know, it's a bit like the Commission uh, introduced a few years ago this idea of privacy by design. So there should be another principle of cybersecurity by design. Uh, for for everything that gets uh, developed uh, in in the future, w what do you think about that? Exactly, that's the principle that we have tried to follow in Estonia as well for many many years. I, I always come come back to the ID card or electronic ID, but I think it's a very fundamental aspect. That uh, exactly that's that's the solution. Like security by design, it's not present or this solution is not implemented. I, I simply don't see another way how to make a society more cyber secure. So I absolutely agree that this uh, security by design is the only option how to go forward. And, and how do you see uh, Europe being able to lead uh, this, uh, this debate? Because after all, innovation comes from everywhere. And uh, in technology, some of uh, the most important providers of software solutions and, and, and so on are not located in Europe. So as in privacy, in a sense, uh, in, in data protection, Europe has been a global leader in establishing um, global standards. Uh, do, do you see Europe being able to play the sim a similar role in, in cybersecurity? Yes, that's again a very good question. And it's a, a big topic that we have at the moment, that how to make Europe uh, the forerunner. Uh, of course, uh, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation that you refer to, is a, I think it's a successful way of uh, regulating what is important to Europe. Uh, but on the other hand, I think regulating the area is simply not sufficient. The whole Europe should have bigger ambition, the ambition to change the world the way that we see is reasonable. And I, I think it's a very positive way, not uh, just saying to others that uh, what they should do, but, but just giving an example that how things should be done. And I think that we need more this global ambition in Europe that we are not only regulating our market, but we can also develop technologies that change the world. Because at, at the moment, unfortunately, the 
biggest uh, influential technologies are not coming from Europe. And that's, I see, it's a very, very big difficulty because the, the gap is going bigger and bigger all over the years. And if we are not able to innovate, then uh, I think the situation doesn't get better in Europe. And how to do that, how to make Europe to innovate, that's, I think, the million-dollar million question. <laughs> yes. Well, in, in the meantime, we're very, very grateful for, for Estonia to play this role of, of encouraging and pushing Europe to be more ambitious. I, I, I love the idea of having the ambition to change the world the right way. So th thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Raoul, Mr. Rick for your perspectives and, and uh, your very valuable insights in this area. Uh, your expertise is, is great. And you have actually set up a very high bar for our future speakers now. So I wish you all the best. Your job is very, very important. Secure uh, the, the future of the Estonian citizens and, and all of us to live in a safe digital environment. So we look forward to keeping in touch, maybe catching up uh, in the future again uh, on, on future developments. And, and of course, I would like to, to thank our listeners. I hope that uh, you will join us again soon for our next episode of this podcast series on the European Digital Frontrunner. Uh, thank you very much on behalf of Ruth Peterson Public Affairs.